0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have your Bible this morning, um, we're going to lock into Matthew chapter 6, but we're actually going to start in Matthew chapter 19, so I want to invite you to the book of Matthew. We're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount, um, but... Uh, what I thought was there's a particular story in the Bible that really illustrates and kind of gives us a narrative framework for um, the, the teaching that Jesus is going to lay on us here. And so in Matthew chapter 19, if you, by the way, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event and track along with all the scriptures and sermon notes. In Matthew 19, I uh, won't we'll make a ton of commentary here, but I uh, just want to read the story. But again, because this is a, this is a, a illustration, a living picture of the things uh, that Jesus is going to challenge us on. And so here we go, Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Something along the lines of, Hey, you, you, you want to experience life, live in obedience to God. Verse 18, and uh, this this guy said to Jesus, which ones? Now, can we just pause for just a second? I promise not to make too much commentary, but if you need a checklist to relate to God, you're in pretty bad shape, folks. Mainly because you will find that you, just like this guy, we'll see it. You'll get to the end of the checklist and go, something's missing. Because it's not a task list. That. Religion is that. This is relationship. So Jesus. Oh, oh! you want to track that road? Here we go. You ready? Jesus said, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal. You shall not, be, uh, shall not bear false witness, which sounds a lot like some of the things he's been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19, then he turns a corner and says, okay, so now we've got all the performance stuff By the way. Let's talk about your heart. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are heart issues. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what do I still lack? Why would he ask that question if he's checked all the boxes? Because box checking is not fulfilling in a relationship. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, and by the way, same word, same word that Jesus uses at the end of Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, be complete, be whole. Be perfect as your heavenly father. So if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus turned and said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of the heavens. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for um, a, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished, not just astonished. They were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, people. But with God, all things are possible. So here's the narrative picture. Rich young ruler comes up, asks a question. Jesus fires back. Rich young ruler says, I am utterly unsatisfied with my religious performance. Jesus goes, that points to something right there. That points to something. So you've got something clogging you. Go sell everything you have. He walks away sad. He traded his treasures for the true treasure uh, Jesus looks at his disciples, his followers, and goes, boy, man, it's hard for them rich folks to get into the kingdom. It's not impossible, but boy, it's, it's hard. It's hard. What? What? Who can be saved? The, the reason why I start there is because I, I think it's really critical that we understand, uh, or excuse me, have in our minds that picture as we step into Matthew 6. Uh, in this particular section of the sermon, we've been talking about fear and um how Jesus is addressing fear all along the way. That's one of the threads that tracks through here. seems appropriate in our day and our age. And so Matthew chapter six, verse 19 is where we're going to be. 19, 20, 21. I'll read the passage and then we'll jump into these three key words here. First of all, uh, let's read the passage 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. If you're um, a writer in your Bible, literally Jesus says, don't treasure treasures on the earth. Where moth rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, treasure treasures in heaven, that's what he says. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, uh, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Three words this morning, the first one is worldview, worldview. Um, this is the way that we see and interpret the things that are going on around us. And there's plenty to see and plenty uh, to interpret. They lived with the assumption. This was a, a first century, um, uh, um, you know, L- Roman um, kind of uh, empire, um, Israelite approach to life. And see if this sounds familiar. Uh, the rich are those who are really well off. They've got the good life. They are hashtag Blessed. The, the rich are the ones who are blessed. Now, the reason why I say that word in particular, that the rich are the ones that are blessed, that they are the ones that are well-off is because do you remember how Jesus started the sermon? Blessed are the poor in spirit for there's a blessed. are the... Okay. So we've got some, Jesus has a different worldview, a competing worldview. I think his is better. We'll talk about that in a second, but we, excuse me, they again, I, I'm sure this isn't for us, but they lived in a world where um, if God said His riches uh, or excuse me, if somebody was um, uh, rich, obviously God had set His blessing um, on them, and so th- they were the ones who were in great shape, which is why the disciples were like, uh, uh, "If the rich can't get in, oh, what about the rest of us? Because here's God's favor on this person. They lived with the idea that the rich are the ones who are really well off. That's a worldly kingdom. Jesus takes that and turns it on his head. He, he has a completely different worldview. There are, though, two fears associated with this, and I just want to identify them so that you and I are on the same page here. Uh, one is a fear about God's disposition toward us, and one is a fear about God's power. God's disposition for us, the question goes something like, um, can God uh, uh, really bless me or can he not? Because like I, I, don't, I don't think he likes me. Obviously, I'm not as rich as I think I should be. Therefore, God's disposition towards me is such that um, he doesn't like me that much. I live with the fear that God doesn't like me because if we live with the rich or well-off, if we live with that particular piece of framing in our worldview, if that's part of our construct for understanding the world, if we are not as rich as we think we are, if if, our relationships go down, if the stock market goes down, if something we're like, oh, God, what did I do? Obviously, you don't like me today. The second one uh, goes along the lines of, can God bless me? God's power, is he able, um, is he able to do so? And, and, and um, the, the gospel of America goes something like this. God obviously needs my help because God helps those who, somebody help me. Oh, you've heard that before. It's like there's a worldview that we have, or at least are exposed to on a regular basis. So the, the two fears, does God like me and can God really do this? Those are associated with this understanding, with, with the understanding of the rich young ruler, with the understanding of the disciples. But Jesus takes that, um, he inverts that, and he aims for something far, far, far different and far deeper in our lives. He's not worried about your bank account, folks. You know what he's worried about. He's worried about your heart. Treasure is a matter of the heart. It's why he looks at the rich young ruler and says to him, you've got a problem And your religious list is not going to solve it. So sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. And he's like, I can't do that, man. I can't. No way. Yes, you can. You really can. There is, if you will, spiritual cholesterol is clogging you and you need to get rid of it. You need to purge it right now. Treasure is a matter of the heart. If you're looking Um, uh, let me just pause here, put a couple of parentheses around here. We we could be rich, let me say, we could be rich because God has blessed us. That's true. And for those who have been blessed by God and are um, wealthy in this world, I just, I hope you steward that well, man. I hope you do. Or we could be rich because we're thieves. And we would not say God had blessed us in that way. But the expense report that we pad every month or whatever... We could be grateful uh, because God has blessed us. Oh, God, thank you for doing it. Help me be a good steward. Or um, we could, uh, for the possessions that we have, we could be grateful for those. Or we could obsess over them. And obsessing over possessions is something along the lines of being greedy. Jesus doesn't, and some people take Jesus this way, and I just don't think this is the case. Jesus doesn't demonize uh, material goods, but he does make sure and warn us about the dangers of them. And so treasure is a matter of the heart. If you're looking for a definition of treasure, here's the best one I could come up with. It's actually worship language. It's the same language around worship. But the treasure is whatever captures our allegiance, whatever incites our affection, whatever demands our action. My guess is that you don't have to look very hard in your own life to think about what that uh, might be. Uh, to put it in different words, it's what we praise, it's what we take pride in, it's what we seek to protect. That's what treasure is. That's what treasure is. Jesus is clear on his worldview. And I think his is better than ours. I think his is better than the one the world has offered. Jesus takes the whole thing and turns it completely upside down. Uh, those who are first, they'll be last Last first. He flips the thing on his head. Oh, it's the rich who are blessed. No, 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 no. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. So, because he's clear on his worldview, this, this leads, if you will, to kind of this second, uh, second where we got worldviews or how we interpret it. Uh, the second one, this is where we're going to press a little bit is this idea of investment. What's our, what is our investment strategy? Again, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves or treasure treasures in heaven. Um, uh, did a little research this week. If you had invested a thousand dollars in Apple in 1990, it was worth a buck 20 back then been three stock splits since then. You would have started with 833 shares and ended up with 23,000 something. Uh, You'd be worth like $3.8 million today, by the way. And you would think to yourself, if I had come to you, if I had come to you in 1990 and said, hey, $1,000, stick it on the fruit stock. And you'd be like, what? What kind of crazy are you? No, no, no. Trust me. Stick it on the fruit stock, A $1, $1,000 is a lot of money, $1990. So on the fruit stock, I mean, they hadn't made anything worthwhile in who knows how long. And what? But today, you'd be like, that was genius. Everybody loves a good investment tip. Jesus is going to challenge us here and say, hey, let's put $1,000 here into something that really matters. It's a good payoff. There's there's two different contexts in which he um, identifies. One is on earth. You see it there in verse 19. Um, Don't lay up for your trails. Don't treasure treasures. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Don't do it. Um, We we could come up with any number of examples or any number of passages which uh, would uh, kind of outlay this for us. Uh, my favorite one, only because I memorized it as a, as a young man, my favorite one is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23, 24. You can write that down and go look it up later. I'll just quote it, and let me tell you what it says. Um, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the strong man boast in his strength, the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what, Je- that's what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. And so so what would treasuring treasures on earth look like? Just ponder these with me. Let not a a wise man boast in his wisdom. In other words, what you know, your intellect, um, your uh, education, uh, your wisdom, the degrees that hang on your wall, what you know. Um, In our particular suburban context, do we value education? Yes. Are there times when we invest in it in such a way that it might become a treasure that might steal us away. Absolutely, there are times when that is the case. And when we do, when it, when it um, calls for our allegiance or incites our affection or demands our action, we can say, man, that's, that's something to be, something to kind of keep an eye on. What, what you know. Secondly, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a strong man boast in his strength. What you can do, what you can do. We think about the ways that our bodies um, can do things, what we can physically accomplish, what is in my power to do. And we uh, look to uh, uh, protect our bodies and, and work out and do all these things, kind of, right? Because we want to be healthy. There's a good way to go down that path, and there's a very, very bad way to go down that path, yes? Uh, and just just so we're clear about whether or not health matters over the past year or so. Okay. There are ways that we can go down that path that's awesome, being good stewards of the body that God has given us, the temple. And then there are ways where it's, it's a bad investment. Thirdly, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, a strong man boast in his strength, a rich man boast in his riches. What you own. What you own. What, what I have access to because of um, the resources that I have, the possessions uh, that I have. And lastly, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, say, understands and knows me. So there's a relationship component, who you know. Not just what you know, not just what you can do, not what you own, but also who you know. Who you know. Um, and you think about the relationships that you have, uh, the relational uh, or social capital that you have. And um, how that can become a trap these are investments that you can make on the earth. Now, again, I just want to say the temptation comes for two reasons. Number one, there is a assumed, an assumed cultural value to these things. So all of the pressure in the operation, excuse me, in the, in the system in which we operate, all of that pressure says, these are important things. And at times they are important things, but they're not treasure of things. The second thing, uh, the second point of pressure for us is not just these assumed cultural values but also these are things that are seen. So you've got um, uh, degrees hanging on a wall. Diplomas hanging on a wall. You, you have um, uh, bank statements that come in and you see them and what they can purchase as a result of that. You see bodies and health. You see people interacting and, and how they're establishing kind of the social order in their relational dynamics. And so these things are seen, and that's one of the temptations for making them treasure. It's like Jesus knew what he was doing, because the very next verse from this passage is, the eye is the lamp of the body. He starts talking about eyes. It's like he knows what he's doing. But Jesus doesn't negate either the assumed cultural values or, uh, or the, the fact that they're seen. He just sees these things more clearly than you and I do. It's why his worldview is so much better than ours. He sees how temporary they are. He sees how fragile they are. And he uses three particular pictures uh, to help remind us of how temporary and how fragile they are. Why? Because there's a difference between, between receiving a gift, saying thanks for it, and then enjoying it, and then that gift becoming a treasure. One is a godly response to blessing, the other is idolatry. Jesus keeps these things before us. He uses three pictures. Here we go. You ready? Don't lay out for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust story, where thieves break in and steal. We got moths. In, in his world, um, and some of you are old enough to remember, some of you are not so sure about this, but how many of you remember mothballs in grandma's closet? You're like, grandma's closet? I've got some right now. Or you put the stuff in the cedar so that you know the critters would leave it alone. You'd hang your dress up or your co- your coat up, your suit, whatever it is. And if you didn't put moths, uh, excuse me, mothballs in there, there was a chance that some little critter would do what? Would come out and eat it. You'd have a hole in your favorite dress, in your favorite coat, whatever it may be. And you think to yourself, why? Why is this happening to me? Because the moth was hungry. That's why. And it would be something along the lines of the kind of natural cycle um, th- that happens in this world. The moth wasn't out to spite you. The moth did not wake up and go, oh, today I'm getting him. Oh, today I'm going to ruin her day. Ooh, yes, It's just a natural cycle. The moth needed something to eat. Your dress was hanging there. Your coat was hanging there. There it is. There's, there's this cycle, um, natural cycle, that is destructive. Uh, secondly, he uses the word rust. Um, where moths and rust don't destroy. Rust represents something along the line of entropy in this broken world, the way that it spirals downward. It never goes up and to the right naturally, folks. It always spirals down to entropy. So you've got this piece of metal and you stick it out. And because we live in Houston where it's always 99.9% humidity, at some point, something starts forming and you're like, I thought this was stainless steel. That's what they all say, you know, it's still. And so at some point you got to scrub it off, clean it off, wipe it down, put the whatever on it, make sure that it's come. You have to do it. You have to do it. Why? Because rest will destroy. Rust will destroy. There's entropy in this broken world. And lastly, thieves break in and steal. The picture there is, is um, a, a thief digging through your wall, in our day and age, kicking our door down, maybe. But, but there is evil in this world. Do, do we have to think about any, I mean, what kind of headlines did we face this week? We've got shootings and young people dying. and I mean, just God, there's evil in this world. What, what do we do? What do we do with that? we don't want to do is invest in this kind of thing because moths do eat and rust does develop and thieves do break in and steal. And and the reason why uh, we do things like give and pray and fast, the stuff that follows, excuse me, is, is prior to this particular passage is because it sensitizes us to these things. So, um, here, here's the other thing to invest in heaven instead. So, um, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, treasure, treasures in heaven. He says the enticement or the invitation is to make a good investment, one that is secure and one that lasts. Now, when you think about moss, um, and, and rust and thieves, you think, gosh, I don't want that to happen. Well, let's, what if we took it and put it in a place where it wouldn't happen, what kinds of things last forever and are untouched by that? And again, we, we could have, I don't know... A lot of different places, or a lot of different lists. I just I put five things down here. And Mike, if it's okay, we'll just put all five up again, just like we did. If you're a writer, uh, you can write these down. If you want to grab your phone and just snap a picture, that's fine too. It won't offend me in the least. I just put together some things that last forever. First of all, God's kingdom lasts forever. There will not be a time when His rule will be. Uh, um, excuse me. There will uh, not be a time where His rule, where His rule of the universe won't be in effect. His kingdom lasts forever. Psalm 145, verse, th- verse 13. Your kingdom. verse 13. O Lord, is forever. Isn't that good news? Like in a a day and an age where so much is temporary, where parties change and presidents change and any number of other things change, bosses come, bosses go, contracts are up, contracts are down, this happened, this, that. Your kingdom, O Lord, lasts forever. So good. Uh, God's word, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Also, Psalm 119, verse 89. "Forever, Forever, O Lord, your word is established in the heavens. Like when we make an investment and spend time in His Word, when we we give ourselves to kingdom priorities and give ourselves to kingdom ministries that we are investing in eternity, when we spend time in the Word of God, um, we are investing in eternity and all the craziness that is our world and all the chaos that comes. It doesn't change this at all. Just this week, I just thought, man, this is such a great thing. Um, Russell Moore, who's a, uh, uh, one of the leaders of the Southern Baptist Entity, had a, a column and in it. He said, uh, young people are walking away from the evangelical church, not because they are secularists, but because they think we are. So let's, let's be people who make the kind of investment who are here in this book, because God speaks to us in his word, lasts forever. Thirdly, um, my relationship with God lasts forever. It is the very definition of eternal life. Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. My relationship with God lasts forever. It is indestructible, even by death. My character lasts forever. Peter, in his second letter, talks about how um, we uh, make our calling and election sure. And and in doing so, what we are doing is providing for ourselves an inheritance in the the, the age to come. And lastly, the souls of people last forever. We see this in the uh, throne room scene in Revelation chapter 20, where every person is called to give an account before God, every one of them. So if we're investing in the people who are next to us, who live next to us, who are on our baseball team, soccer team, if we're investing in the people that we work with, we are making eternal investments. Th- this is a worthwhile investment, folks. This, this is a good place to stick, stick um, your resources, so to speak. This is the fruit. This is the fruit that remains. So third word, quickly. We've got a worldview that Jesus changes for us. We've got an investment strategy that looks different than the world's investment strategy because they seek to protect their resources, seek to protect their reputation. Jesus says there's something else altogether. And thirdly, there's a connection here that Jesus wants to highlight. There's a connection between our heart and our treasure. And the the first little part of this to, to note is that this is a good diagnostic for us. It is mercy that God gives us this. Why? Because Um, there are times when I can be uh, self-deceived or deluded and not know where my heart is. He's very clear about this. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart would be also. When it comes to this diagnostic, you can know where your heart is. If you've ever been in a moment where you're like, I don't know how I'm doing spiritually, look, you can see it. (laughs) Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you're spending your treasure on things that don't matter, guess what you're doing spiritually? Yeah, not doing awesome. If you're spending your treasure on uh, spending time in God's Word, investing in other people, building your character, whatever it is, that's, that's something else. Uh, one of the questions you could ask yourself, what, what is it in my heart that I want to preserve, that I want to protect, uh, that I want to secure? What is it? Secondly, there, there's directive also. This is the connection between treasure and heart uh, because you can tell your heart where to go and you don't have to follow it. That is one of the mantras of today. Follow your heart. But that that is disastrous. How many people have followed their heart and ended up in the ditch? People have stories in the room. You're watching online. You've got stories you're thinking about right now. You followed your heart. Uh Uh-oh. You can direct your heart instead. How do you do that? Well, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do you do it? You stick your treasure somewhere. You put your time, your talent, your resources, any number of other things. You put those things to work in eternal things and your heart follows. Here's the bottom line. Therefore, therefore, my obedience matters. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how small the issue is. Therefore, my obedience matters. And for some of you, you, you need to have a moment where you just recognize your obedience matters. In this issue, in that thing, in this relationship, over here, in this circumstance, my obedience matters. And the best thing you can do this morning is surrender and just go, Jesus, you're right. My obedience matters. You're right. And I want to step into this week thinking about that. Some of you are here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. I want to invite you to surrender today. The best thing you can do is give your life to him. He will forgive you of your sin and he will give you freedom in life. Just like we saw Robert testify. Last last little thing. One more treasure story. In in Matthew chapter 13, um, verse 44, Jesus telling a parable. He goes, there's a guy who's walking along a field and he stubs his toe. And after he gets done, stupid. He's figuring out, like, what did, I, what did I kick? He goes back to kick it again. He's like, wait a minute. He starts digging around a little bit. It's a box. He cracks the box open. and it's full of treasure. He slams it down, covers it back up, goes and sells everything that he has and buys the field. And he buys the field where the treasure is. It sounds a lot like the rich young ruler. Except here's, here's the difference. In that particular parable, Jesus said, and in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had. In his, Don't miss that, in his joy, because that's what God's after. Some of you think, oh, if I surrender, blah. No, 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 no. God's after your joy. That's what he wants for you. And so therefore, your obedience matters, no matter how big, no matter how small. You can make heavenly investments. You can change your strategy. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. So I'm going to pray and invite you uh, to respond as you see fit. Frank's going to lead us in a song in just a moment, but let's have just a moment here, just a second to pray. Um, Father, just for a moment here, We, we need to settle and let this kind of get down into us, settle down into us. So I ask over... These brothers and sisters, those who are watching online. I ask, Father, that you would just put your finger, by your Holy Spirit, put your finger somewhere where we need you to work, where we need your conviction. We need you to do something. Where we need to surrender. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, today can be the day simply by saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life. It's just that simple. And the good news is, no matter your background and no matter your baggage, he will do so. If you're here today and you are a follower, I I want to invite you. To treasure treasures in heaven. It's the best decision you can make today, no matter what it is. Spirit, as you continue to move and do the things that you want to do in this room and in our hearts, I pray that we would respond with a sense of courage, a sense of perspective. Let it be, Lord. With this, what we ask in Christ's name. Everybody said, Amen and Amen.